This is a special edition of Your Path with Bishop Mark from Dallas Universal Life Church in Dallas, Texas. from the Holy Gospel according to John. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. A single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. True gospel of the Lord. Praise the Lord of the word. Okay, be seated, please. Say good evening to you. If you've ever thrown a party or hosted people for dinner at your house, you know that there are lots of things to consider, even before you make uh, decisions about when you'll gather. You'll probably formulate at least some reason why you're gathering. You want to catch up with the long-lost friends. There's a special event coming up like Christmas or New Year's, or maybe, maybe you just want to uh, just have your friends over for a fun evening. Whatever the purpose, it's what drives all your planning, and it's typically the reason you begin planning in the first place. Next, you need to decide when the party or dinner is taking place. And you need to set the what of the dinner too, the menu and a bit of a schedule for the evening. It may nearly go without saying, but there's one little item that, that I haven't mentioned yet that, that can make or break your party. You have to decide on the guest list, the list of who is coming to the party. Tonight we gather for a feast. Our Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, invited his disciples to a, uh, to a feast, his body and his blood given for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Ever since that night, before his crucifixion, the Christian church on earth has uh, gathered together regularly to, to partake of this feast, and especially on this night. You've likely heard, a, heard many a sermon on the theology of the Lord's Supper and how Christ's body and blood are present in and under the bread and wine. 
You've likely heard many a sermon about the benefits to your life when, with Christ when you uh, receive the supper. These sermons and teachings are life-giving, and you're likely to hear many more. But tonight, we focus on a different question about this feast of the Lord's Supper. Who, in particular, is invited? And I'll give you a hint. It's not enough to say everyone. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about whom our Lord invites to his supper. The last several Sundays of Lent, we've been in a sermon series called Lent for All Nations. We've been looking at characters primarily from the New Testament who interacted with Jesus and thereby helped the church to understand the uh, who of its mission to all the world. Our gospel reading for this evening, instead of the typical account of the Lord's Supper, we heard a reading from the Gospel of John, which will help us reflect on who Christ invites to his table and feast. Let's dive into John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. The setting of the story is a feast, but what feast? We know from what happened right before and after in the gospel that the festival is Passover. Just before this in John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19, Jesus rode in Jerusalem on his donkey to prepare for the Passover feast. As readers of the gospel, we know that this this was the week uh, we now call Holy Week, the week of the suffering death, and resurrection of our Lord. So the Greeks show up, but were they invited to the Passover? The ancient Jewish historian Josephus, who was born in just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, gives us some important background information. Uh, he tells us that Greeks and other foreigners were often present in Jerusalem during the time of the feast, but they, they were not allowed to participate in the feast of Passover. They were not allowed to eat from the Passover sacrifice. You may remember from the story of the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12 that the feast was only for the community of Israel. It served to protect Israel from the punishment that would come upon pagan Egypt as punishment for not allowing the Israelites to worship their God. The very essence of the meal was that it was for Israel and not for the nations. The very essence of the meal was to protect Israel from the punishment that God would bring upon their non-Israelite neighbors. So the Greeks who showed up to that Passover in Jesus' day were not all welcome to the feast. In our own day, a young man named Paul grew up in the Bay Area of California near San Francisco. And Paul's parents had immigrated to America from a small Pacific island of Tonga near American Samoa and Fiji. Paul grew up in a Tongan Pentecostal church focused primarily on the law and promised that, he blessed, that God would bless him if he was faithful and obedient. You yourselves have probably experienced Paul struggled under the burden of perfectionism and felt deeply felt deeply the shame of being a sinner. Though he began serving in the in his local church, helping with music and youth programs and anything else the pastor asked him to do, he never experienced the breakthroughs or the blessings that church promised. After, after serving in the church hoping for a big payoff because of his faithful service, he became burned out. And eventually came burned out on faith as well. Though he though he broke Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry again. He eventually okay. I'm on the back of that. Though he grew up knowing our triune God, he nevertheless felt shut out from God's grace and love. Like the Greeks in our gospel reading, Paul was shut out from the feast of God's love in Christ because of the churches 
legalism and false promises of God rewarding perfect behavior. Even though Greeks were barred from partaking in the Passover, a small group of them in Jesus' day persisted. Sir, these Greeks told Philip, we, want, we, wish, to see, we wish to see Jesus, even though their ethnicity barred them from participating in Passover. They had evidently heard about this man named Jesus. Maybe they had heard that Jesus had turned water into wine or that he had healed a, a man born blind. Maybe they had just heard that uh, Jesus was willing to meet with a Samaritan woman who had five husbands. Or maybe they heard that Jesus was able to raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. Whatever the case, they wanted an audience with this man named Jesus. Somehow Paul and his friend V ended up getting connected to the Lutheran church uh, congregations. His friend V was also from the Pacific Islands and had struggled under the same legalistic church and the promise of blessings and big payoffs as a reward for good behavior and service. V eventually declared himself an atheist until something happened. Some Lutheran church members and pastors invited Paul and V into the Lutheran church. Now, these Lutherans began to share grace and the gospel with Paul and V, and it began to soften their law-hardened hearts. They gave Paul a copy of Luther's small catechism, and he says he devoured it because it helped him to see God in a whole new light. As a God of forgiveness and grace, this unlocked the scriptures for them, and Paul and B began to see the Bible as a wonderful gift with everything needed to support our faith and our life. Now back to our gospel reading for a moment. Notice who the Greeks approached with the news that they wanted to see Jesus. This is an important detail in the text not to be missed. The Greeks don't go straight to Jesus. For some reason, they go first to Philip. And then John tells us that Philip went to Andrew, and they together went to Jesus to tell Jesus. Now, why share those details? Are they important to the story? Well, commentators point out that Philip was, a very, was from a very particular place. Philip was from Bethsaida of Galilee, or as Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 calls it, Galilee of the Gentiles. Philip was a bridge builder who had probably grown up around around Gentiles his whole life. Though he was almost certainly a Jew himself, he knew Gentiles like the Greeks who came inquiring about Jesus in our reading. Moreover, both Philip and Andrew are the only two of the twelve disciples that had Greek names. This also probably means that Philip and Andrew were bilingual making it further possible for a bridge to be built to the pagan and Gentile Greeks. John, as the writer of this gospel, presumably includes this detail to help his readers understand the importance of bridging culture to accomplish the mission of welcoming the nations and people, particular nations or people groups or ethnicities, to the feast. In much the same way, after Paul and V became Lutheran because the gospel transformed their relationship with God, they became bridge builders. Some leaders in their district asked Paul. Some leaders in their district asked Paul and B to start an outreach to young people, and so they sat, they founded S S O Y L Soil Soil School of Young Leaders. This school of young leaders became a feast uh, for other immigrant young people, many of whom had also burned out in their relationship with God because of legalistic and prosperity theology. Paul and B invited some Lutheran pastors to come to present the Lutheran understanding of law and gospel to these young leaders. Paul says that 
tears began to fall from their eyes as they realized that they are truly welcome to the peace of forgiveness and love of Jesus. Some of the attendees of the school say that for the first time in their lives, they understand that Jesus is full of grace, grace upon grace. See, like Philip and Andrew, Paul and V became bridge builders to help connect Pacific Islanders like them to the feast of Jesus' love. Now, it's important to note in our next in our text that the Greeks in John 12 don't actually get to see Jesus. They make a request to Philip to see him, and that request gets passed along to Andrew, and together Andrew and Philip inform Jesus. But Jesus doesn't reveal himself to the Greeks. Why is that? It might seem that Jesus doesn't want to see the Greeks, but that's not it. As we heard before, the mission to the Gentiles didn't, didn't start until Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that it will be at the cross that he will draw all uh, peoples to himself. On the cross, Jesus would hang before Jews and Romans and Greeks. But for now, the Greeks must remain waiting for Jesus, who remains somewhat hidden to them. A friend Paul out in the Bay Area still hasn't had any major breakthroughs in ministry or in life. And checks for a million dollars. Even though his efforts have produced some wonderful fruit, he still sometimes struggles with knowing that what God wants him to do next. He still struggles at times with discouragement. And yet the promise of God, God's love in Christ, the sure and certain word of forgiveness that Paul now hears regularly from his pastor, and the hope and life he, re he receives in the Lord's Supper are a feast that brings Paul much comfort and is keeping him in Christ's love. Perhaps, if we're honest, we all struggle with the same kinds of things as Paul. Tonight, we don't see Jesus like the disciples did. We struggle with temptations and sin, with discouragement, disappointment, and disillusionment. And yet, Christ comes to us tonight in his supper. He's hidden in heaven at the right hand of, the, of God, waiting for the final day of his return. And yet, he comes to us tonight in, with, and under the bread and wine. He gives us his body and blood for our forgiveness so that he can be with us forever. In this feast, he fills us with hope and, and the sure and certain promise of a seat at the table of a coming feast on that last day. And on that day, Christ himself will welcome us to his full and final feast. But until that day, we feast on Christ's promise, his love and forgiveness in this meal. And we invite others to feast alongside of us. This is not just a generic, y'all come. This invitation to the feast is, an, is as personal as Philip and Andrew talking to those Greeks. It's as personal as those Lutheran pastors in the Bay Area giving Paul a small catechism and inviting Paul with all of his challenges and struggles to come home to God's uh, grace in Christ. It's as personal as Paul and B welcoming other friends in the school of young leaders. Now we are called by Christ to be like Philip and Andrew like Paul and V. The nations are coming to our church asking if they can share our facilities with us or if they can rent our kitchen or if they can help with our youth program. Like Philip and Andrew, like Paul and V, we invite the Greeks, the Tongans, the nations to come to share in the feast of Christ's love and forgiveness. Come to the feast that you might go to welcome others to the feast. Friends of Christ, I invite you to come forward that we do call whose servants we are and remember his teaching.
that what is done for us is also to be done for others. off the altar. Any crosses that we have here in the church are all coming down. Anything with religious figures, uh, any, any statues or anything that we can't take out are going to be covered up. Um, this is just in preparation for Good Friday, which is tomorrow. So we're going to go ahead and do that. First I will dismiss us, and then I will see you tomorrow for Good Friday.
May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Go now in peace to love and serve God. Amen. We go in the name of Christ. Well, I'll turn this music on. And let that run while I go and get a little more comfortable. And start taking everything out. Okay.